Amen. I'm reading tonight from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, from two or three places and two or three sources, I, uh, I, I, got, I kept getting this vibe from this Scripture. And everywhere I went to study, this Scripture came up. And so I'm going to begin from this Scripture and talk to you about Satan's weapons against the church. Satan's weapons against the church. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we begin reading at verse 3. Amen. Hope you brought your Bibles, and I hope you will take a few notes because these things are important. Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. He said this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You may be seated. Uh, there was a mother one time that invited some people to dinner, and so at the dinner table, she looked over her six-year-old daughter, and she said, Honey, why don't you say the blessing? And the daughter said, I, I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. She said, well, honey, just say what mommy says. And so they all bowed their head, and the little girl bowed her head. And after a long pause, she said, dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? She just said what mommy said. Spiritual warfare cannot be fought by just repeating someone else's prayer are doing what somebody else does. This is a battle, folks. We're all in a battle. This is not a cakewalk. And the, the further we go into time, the more spiritual warfare we encounter. And we have to understand that what we are doing and why we are doing it, if it's going to be effective, it has to be personal. And it has to be powerful. Every day when you wake up, there is, a, there is a war to be fought in the spirit world. If you are a Holy Ghost-filled child of God, you're going to encounter things that others will not encounter. There are going to be spiritual attacks upon your life and upon your, upon your mind and upon your family and upon the things all around you because this is not a game to the devil. He's here to destroy everything. I preached it Sunday morning. The Bible said he came to kill and to steal and to destroy. That's his mission. That's what he's out to do. It's not because of your name. It's because of who you're associated with. It's not because of who you are. He could care less about who you are as, as, as your name or pedigree or family or anything else, but you are, you are a, a child of God. And when you become a child of God, you become a target for the devil. 
And I believe that with all of my heart. There's three main weapons that the devil uses, and I want to talk about them tonight. Three main weapons. There's a lot of weapons that he uses, but I want to talk about three of the main weapons that he uses against us as children of God. How many of you understand, and you, you wake up sometime, and you don't even know why that, that you feel the way you do, and there's a spirit of depression, or there's a spirit of oppression, or perhaps you get down to pray, and it seems like you pray, and your, your prayers are hitting the ceiling, bouncing back down to where you are. And, and you really don't understand why you feel like you feel. Well, let me just tell you, it is an attack of the enemy. The enemy attacks day in and day out. And so we have to be ready. There's three main weapons, and I want to talk about them for just a little bit tonight. And the most obvious weapon is a very active one in our society and in our world. It's just called sin. Sin. What is sin? Sin. It's not what, what I say it is. It's not what you say it is. Sin is a transgression against the law of God. It's not my, you know, uh, now if you've not been to Wednesday night, you'll find out that we just kind of, uh, I'd start to say let our hair down, but I don't have any to let down. But uh, we just kind of open up and be who we are. So let me just talk to you for a minute. There have been people that have made things sin that were not sin. There have been people that have called things sin that God never called sin. So sin is not defined by you or I because we all have opinions and, and we all have ideas. And so that's not what sin is. Sin is not whether I like it or not. I had an uncle, you, many of you will not remember him, but uh, his name was J. Roy Wiedner. He was a very great man. He was my dad and mom's pastor and, uh, for, for years. And he, he, many years ago, long ago, went to be with the Lord but, but he, was, he, he used to laugh at himself because he said, I was preaching as a young preacher. And he said, I, I ran out of stuff to preach because I just didn't have the material. And uh, he said, I looked down and he said, I saw a guy on the front bench and he had white shoes on. So he just said, I started preaching against white shoes. That's kind of the way it was back in those days. And he laughed at himself because he'd say, and he had this laugh that I can't even mimic. And he'd hold his foot up and he said, now I have some. So that's, sin is not what you like or what you don't like. Sin is a transgression of the law of God. And Satan is a known tempter. Go read in the book of Matthew. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, you'll find out that he is an expert at being a tempter to cause men to sin. He tried his best to get Jesus himself to sin. Sin will seek you out. Sin will find you. Everybody sinned. We're all sinners by birth. We're all sinners by nature. Does anybody hear me tonight? The Bible said we are born in sin and we are shapen in iniquity. It's our nature to be a sinner. Since Adam, all men have sinned. There is none, not one that has not sinned except Jesus Christ. Everybody that has ever graced the face of this earth has fallen into sin. But sin will seek you out like, like it will find you. And you know immediately when you are hit by the missile of sin 
because the wages and the price tag of sin is death. The Bible said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin. Brother Roy, would you turn that on for me, that monitor? He puts that up, and sometime I like to use that. The wages of sin is death. When you sin, the ultimate price, there's two kinds of death that will come from sin. One of them is a spiritual death. The Bible talks about a second death in the book of Revelations, and you die a spiritual death when you sin, but you can also die a physical death. We know that sin sometimes causes physical death. So sin is rampant. Sin is everywhere. Never been an hour like our hour where sin is so rampant. I, I, I mean, it's mind-boggling when you look at our world. Did you think 20 years ago that our world would be where we are? Come on now, we're all adults here. Did you, would you have ever believed 30 years ago that America and the world in general would be in such chaos and such sin? That's what we're looking at right now. No, you didn't. And I didn't either. But sin is running rampant. And that is what the devil is using. He fills our society. He fills our lives. He fills our minds. He fills everything with sin. I'm talking about you can't avoid it. It's everywhere. And the only thing we can do is not partake of it by the grace of God. So sin is an attack and a weapon that the devil uses against the church. Not only sin, but there's another weapon, the second weapon. He is an accuser of the brethren. The second weapon I want to talk about is, is a little more passive. It's not often seen so, so clearly. It, it's, it, it is set up like a secret trap at times, and you fall into it. Satan is described as an accuser in the Word of God. You can read it in Job chapter 1. The Bible said when the sons of God came before the Lord that, that Satan was among them. He came and began to accuse the brethren. He, he accused Job. And in Zechariah, you'll find that in chapter 3 and verse 1. And in Revelation, the Bible calls him in chapter 12 and verse 10, an accuser of the brethren. He's an accuser. If he has the courage, listen to me now. If he has the courage to accuse you before God, who knows everything? Did you hear me? God who knows everything. He knows the hair on your head. He knows where you went this week. He knows who you've been with. He knows what you've said. There's no hidden things from God. He knows what you do on the job. He knows what you do in, at night, and he knows what you do in the day. God who knows everything. But if Satan has the courage to, to accuse the brethren before God, who knows the facts, imagine what he's capable to say to us because we're mere mortals. And sometimes he starts accusing and we have to be careful not to believe his lies. Amen? Even though we are forgiven, he reminds us of every sin we've ever committed. How many of you have ever repented of a sin only to have the devil bring it back up? Huh? The devil say, you know what you did? And, and it, oh, he, he don't talk maybe audibly, but he puts it in your mind. 
and he puts it in your heart. And he wants to bring, I love this, and I've said it a million times, maybe not a million, but somewhere in the, in the thousands, no doubt, over 50 years of preaching. Every time the devil starts reminding you of your, your past, you just remind him of his future. Because he's going to be bound up and cast into the lake of fire, and that's in the book. He knows what his destiny is. That's why he's an accuser of the brethren. He tries to destroy us with accusation. And he wants you to believe that God didn't forgive you. He wants you to believe that. You know what the Bible said? The Lord said he would never leave us nor forsake us. But Satan screams in our ear that you've been forsaken and you're too bad for God to forgive. Never will forget many years ago a man called me. I, I was pastoring down in, in, the, in Sandy Lake and and a guy that, that I'd been working on and, and trying to get to church, he called me one night. And he said, can you come talk to me? And I said, yeah, I can. And so I went to his house, and he, he, he began to, to talk to me about his past. He had been to the war. He had killed a lot of people. And, and tears began to roll down his cheeks. And he said, Pastor, I, I just don't think God can forgive me for all the terrible things I've done in my life. And I said, oh, wait a minute. He will forgive you for everything you've ever done in your life. He will, one, with one stroke of the brush of blood across your soul, erase everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said. But the devil wants you to believe that you can't get forgiven. He wants you to believe that there's no hope for you. Let me read Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. If you want to put it up, Tommy, but I'm going to read it in the amplified version because it said, for he, God, himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor forsake, nor, nor let you down. Relax, hold on you, assuredly not. I am going to keep you. I am going to take care of you. And I am going to forgive you. I don't care what the devil tells you tonight. He can't tell the truth if he wanted to. The Bible said he is a liar and the father of every lie. And the tr listen to this. It didn't stop there. And it said, and the truth is not in him. He can't even tell the truth if he wanted to. He's a liar, the father of every lie, and the truth is not in him. Amen? So don't listen to the accuser. Satan uses accusations to generate anxiety strong enough so that we will come out from under the mighty hand of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6, talks about the mighty hand of God. Let's listen to what Peter said. He said, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then he said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, not a roaring lion. Notice he didn't say he was a roaring lion. He said as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The, 
the objective of the devil is to paralyze you like an animal that's fallen into a trap and take everything he can and accuse you and beat you down. And if we don't understand that he's an accuser, he will be successful. And when he is, he'll cause you to despair and to become so depressed. And so uh, there's no hope for me. There's no way out of this. There's nothing I can do to better myself. He is an accuser of the brethren. Don't listen to the accuser. It's, an, it's a weapon that he uses against the church. He hates it that we've been forgiven. He can't stand it that you've been forgiven. And let me tell you about God. When he forgives you, he don't bring it back up. Huh? I don't care how bad you are or how bad you've been. You don't have to keep repenting for the same sin that you did in 1992. Amen? You may not forget it, but let me tell you the ability of God. He has the ability to forgive and forget. He has the ability to, to, to put it away and not bring it back up. Amen? So, so people don't forget but God does. Aren't you glad that when you go to God and you've made another mistake? Anybody here ever made another mistake? I hadn't made just one or two. I made several. Matter of a fact, you, too many for you to count. But aren't you glad that when you go to God, he doesn't say, well, now, you know, son, you've been here before for that. I remember back in 1989 and 2002 and 2013 and you, you know, that's not what God does. When he forgives you, he washes your sins away. He washes you with the blood of the Lamb. When you go down the waters of baptism, it's a one-time thing because the blood is applied to your life. And let me tell you what, he, i, I got to give you a little scripture. This is not in my notes. But the Bible said, little children, don't sin. Everybody say, don't sin. But you know what the Word of God said? But if you do sin, you have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. Confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive your sin. So when we make a mistake, don't listen to the devil. He's a liar. Just keep getting up. You know what I tell the Lord every once in a while in prayer? I'm not joking when I say this, and I'm not just saying this to preach something. You know what I tell him all the time? You've got me on your hands. I may make mistakes every day, but you got me on. I ain't giving up. I, I refuse to go to hell. If I got to repent every morning at 6 o'clock, I'll repent every morning at 6 o'clock. I'm going to conquer this old flesh, and I'm going to be saved no matter what. Devil, you're a liar. I know what God said in his word, and he's forgiven me, and I'm moving on, and everything's going to be all right. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the third weapon is the most dangerous, and this is where I really wanted to go tonight because it, it lies dormant until activated. We talk about sin, that's a weapon that the devil uses. We talk about accusation and being accused of the brethren. But, but this third one, the church in general is aware of the first two weapons because the Bible teaches 
and, and we've taught it so much, and because of their effects on us and spiritual death, the paralysis and visible motivators to get us help and so forth. But this third weapon that the devil uses, it's, 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 it's kind of undercover. It's called strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. It's like an unseen landmine waiting to detonate. It gets its grip. You don't, you don't find out about it until we survey the destruction that it's wreaked in our lives. And then we realize something's not right. Spiritual strongholds allow the devil to manipulate Christians. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. And it brings great damage to themselves and to others. And impeaching their Christian witness like it did the Laodiceans because they thought they were good until Jesus started talking. He said, you think you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but I got news for you. You really are naked and poor and wretched and you need to anoint your eyes with eyesight. You, you're not seeing right. You're not living right. You're not doing right. But there was a stronghold that had them. See, this is consistent with, with Satan's character, his treacherous character as a deceiver. Do you know the devil's a deceiver? I preached about that not long ago on a Sunday morning in this church about the deceit of, of Satan. The deceit, uh, John 8, 44, talks about him being a liar. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 talks him about him being a deceiver. But I want to show you where the devil goes to get strongholds. You know where he goes? Your mind. This is where the access gate to get a hold of your spirit is right here. Right between your ears. Somebody, somebody better hear me tonight. I've preached many times about our mind, and tonight I'm going to talk about it again. The only hope, the only hope a child of God has in battling strongholds are the landmines, if you please, is discover them and disarm them. That's the only hope we have because if we let them stay, they're going to blow up. You know what a landmine is? That's something that's hidden that you don't see that when you walk over it, it suddenly will take your life or take a leg off or take an arm off. It's guerrilla warfare in the spirit. It's things that you don't see until it's too late. But we have to have spiritual discernment to understand what God is saying and what God is trying to tell us. A spiritual stronghold, listen to this, is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. We want to accept unchangeable situations, we, we, we think, that, that are contrary to the will of God. In other words, oh well, just, you know what, that's... It used to be, but it's not anymore. Just let it go. It's a, it's a stronghold the devil's trying to get. No, you know, it doesn't matter like it used to. It matters as much as it ever did. I may lose some of you here, but it's okay. See, the Bible, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. 
The Bible teaches us to forgive our enemies. You ever read that? See, do you forgive your, your mom or your daddy or your, you know, sometime, or your brother or your sister, but hey, the Bible said forgive your enemies, Matthew chapter 5. It's a must. If you are incapable of forgiving a particular person, you should suspect a spiritual stronghold. Let's talk about that. If you are incapable of forgiving the way the Bible says to forgive, then you better start suspecting a spiritual stronghold. Well, you don't know what they've done. I know what they did to Jesus. They slapped him, spit on him, mocked him. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that right? Amen? Glad to see you back, Jesse. COVID survivor. Hallelujah. Amen. So there, that, that, that's a sign of a spiritual stronghold. The Bible tells us, watch this now, you with me? Oh, Jesus, help me, Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Boy, I'm, I, I believe that, don't you? Oh, you? If you're sitting around anywhere by your wife, you better be putting your hand up. If you find a wife, you find a good thing. And that we are to become, as husband and wife, one flesh. So if you, watch me, if you are powerless to change your feelings towards your spouse and you feel hopeless and you've got, you got things in your crawl you can't get rid of, you might suspect that there's a stronghold in your mind. The Bible says that we must live holy what the Bible said, 1 Peter 1. And if you're unable to shake the creeping influences of worldly pleasures and things that are overtaking you in the world and not get your priorities right, then you should suspect a stronghold. There's some people, you know, there's some folks, they want to live for God on their terms. Can't live for God on your terms. You got to live for God on his terms. The devil would have you believe that some things will never change. But let me tell you, anybody can change by the help and grace of God. You believe that? You, I, there's, there's a multitude of things. I just got a few things here that we need to think about because these are things that get in our mind. I can't forgive them. Well, I, I, can't, you know, I can't tell you how many people that I have counsel with over time and and you know you say well do you want to put your marriage back together do you think this can can help well well let me just tell you sometimes they just feel like it's impossible it's it nothing is impossible but sometimes the devil gets a hold of our minds and makes things impossible and makes things to where you do not believe they can work that you do not believe you could forgive that you do not believe you could live for God. That you don't believe that you could live a holy life. You see, anytime the will of God is clearly spelled out, but 
but reality tells a different story in your life. Anytime you're powerless to change the reality perceived by your mind, anytime you have suspected or accepted defeat because the situation looks hopeless, suspect a stronghold because the liar, the deceiver, the accuser, the man that, that produces more sin are the one, not a man, the, the, the demons that produce so much sin are doing nothing more than building a fort in your life and making it to where you can't think godly and right things and do what the will of God is in your life. Strongholds. How do human beings act when there's a stronghold in their mind? What do they do? How do they act? You see, strongholds expose severe inconsistency between what we say and what we believe. We say one thing, but we really don't believe it. Number one, you can be a professional hypocrite. You can be one thing in the church and another thing on the job. The gun got quiet. I, I just heard a rat run across the ceiling tile. Amen. We, we cope. We cope with them. We cope with things by, by we put up partitions in our mind. It separates our thoughts into two compartments. I'm going to help you tonight if you listen to me. 1 Corinthians 10 and 5 said, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. you got to get rid of every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. You see, one side of your mind is the knowledge of God. The other side is human speculation. And a speculation is a conclusion based on an assumption that cannot be proven. Well, I believe this. Prove it. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to stand on tonight. I'm going to stand on the Word of God. When everything else fails, I'm going to stand on the Word of God. I'm not going to use human assumption and things that I cannot prove. Well, so-and-so is doing it, and they're getting by. Look, could, I, could I clarify something to you right now? Nobody's got by with anything because we're not in the judgment yet. Well, I can do it if they can. You better not. You know what the Bible said? If we judge ourselves by ourselves, we are fools. I can't judge myself by how you live. I can't judge myself by what you do. I have to judge myself according to the Word of God. So I can't assume this is right, and I can't, I can't prove it, but I can just think it. Well, what about this? And what, what I'm trying to tell you, the the fragmentation makes us develop what James calls a double mind. The Bible said a double-minded man. Well, over here I believe this, but really I don't know if I believe that. I'm over here. A double-minded man, James said, is what? Somebody help me. Unstable in all of his ways. Thinking one way one day. Some people are, are like, the guy that said, when you're in Rome, just do with the Romans, you know, whatever, whoever, whatever crowd you're with. We certainly don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you, truth offends whether you like it or not. Truth offends. 
<laughs> Truth is not, it, it, it's not tidy and clean to where it's going to tiptoe up to you and make you feel real good all the time. Truth sometimes hurts. Amen. A double-minded man. When, when believers are convicted and they bail out by rationalizing defense for themselves, how can you believe one thing in church and another one out on the parking lot? That's double-minded. How can you say, well, I believe this, but when you get with the other crowd, you believe this? That's double-minded. Oh, well, it's the truth anyway. Can you imagine the devastating effects that a stronghold has in people's lives? Saints of God trying to believe God for a breakthrough in their church who can't forgive somebody else? Now, let me, some of you know this, some of you don't. So I'm going to give you a little Bible lesson. I've, I've done it over and over and over and over. I need a gift. Where's a gift? I need a gift. My bottle of water be the gift, okay? Here's what the Bible said. Jesus said this. I didn't say it. He said it. Don't blame me. Blame him. He said, if you bring your gift to the altar, here's my gift, Lord. You know, you can bring it up here on the Sunday morning service, or you can bring it in a prayer meeting, or you can bring it when you're at home in the closet of prayer. But if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember Not that you have ought against your brother. That's not what the Bible said. You remember that your brother have ought against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled unto your brother. And then, then you can come back and offer your gift to God. You know what the Lord's saying? He won't accept your gift if you don't get it right. See, relationship with God is this way, okay? Everybody say it's vertical. He's up there, we're down here. I'm just using this for illustration. Relationship with man is this way, okay? This way won't work without this way. Because he said, how can you love God whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen? So when you bring your gift and you remember that your brother have all against you. Go be reconciled unto your brother. I wonder what would happen if before we really had a prayer meeting, we'd make sure everything was okay between us and them. Hmm? You got something in your craw? I'm going to tell you right now, you need to get it out. And if somebody's got something, now, 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 now let, 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 me, let me help you, okay? Some people won't forgive. It don't matter if you go to them or not. But your responsibility is to go to them. Somebody asked me long ago, said, what if I go to them and they don't want to forgive? That's on them. But you've done your part according to the Word of God. And when you do your part, you can bring your gift and be happy before the Lord, and it's off your shoulders, and you can march on. Everybody with me? This is good Bible study right here. This will help you get a Holy Ghost breakthrough in your prayer. This, when you got everything right this way, brother, the, the Holy Ghost flows this way. And the presence of God flows this way. You, you can't go to heaven hating folks. 
not your enemy and not your friend. Let me get my gift back up here because I might need a drink of this gift. So, that's a stronghold. When you want a breakthrough, you can't have things in your heart and have a breakthrough because there's a stronghold in your life. You, do, you know, do you know what unforgiveness does? It puts you in a prison. It is literally a stronghold. It, puts, it binds you up. I won't tell you when, who, or where. But over the last while, I had some dealings with a person. Whew. I mean, I'd done everything I could, everything I could to say, you got to bury the hatchet. I don't have a hatchet to bury. It's their hatchet. Okay. But your attitude will show your forgiveness. How much longer I gotta oh, I gotta hurry. Here's another one. The devastating effects of a stronghold. Saints trying to believe God for a miracle for their city and they can't even enjoy their marriage. You can't get along with somebody in your house and you want to save the city. Saints trying to believe God for power that can't live holy. And the devil's screaming the whole time. Don't believe it. Look at your situation. Look at your situation. See, when Christians know the will of God and do otherwise, Satan is able to blackmail them. He's got a stronghold in your life. When you know right and you do wrong, Satan uses that to blackmail you. He, that's, that's where he steps in. When you know what's right and yet you do what's wrong, he blackmails you. That's a stronghold in your life. How do you get them down? I got to hurry. Strongholds are not to be painted or wallpapered, they're to be destroyed. You can't cover them up. you got to destroy them. And there's only one way to destroy them. I'm going to give you a scripture. I'm going to go to it very quickly. And I'm going to end with these things. There are four steps to be taken to accomplish the destruction of strongholds in your life. Watch me. James chapter 4, Brother Tommy, verse 7. I'll start right there. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James said. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So the first thing you got to do is you got to submit to God. Everybody say, submit to God. That's the first thing you got to do to get the strongholds out of your life. Determine the will of God by the Word of God and choose to believe it and choose to obey it. Submit to God. Submit to God. That means, God, whatever you want me to do, tear down the petition in your mind. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, call true truth and call 
called lies, lies. Re-enter the battlefield with the mind made up that says, I'm submitting my will to God's will. That's the first step. The second step is this. Resist the devil. Resist him. Stiff arm him. Get him out of your way. The most effective way to to resist the devil is to to let the flesh die. Let the old man die. Put yourself on the altar. Let everything, uh, quote scripture to him. When the devil comes knocking, do just what Jesus did. He said, Satan, it is written. The word of God is your great defense. When the devil, that's why you need to learn the word of God. That's why you need to study the word of God. That's why you need to put the word of God in your heart. You know what the Bible said? David said, David, the man after God's own heart, thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart. It's preventive maintenance that I might not sin against thee. You don't change the oil in the car because the car quit running. You change the oil in the car so the car keep running. Everybody with me? It's preventive maintenance. You put the word of God in you because you're going to need it. And when the devil comes knocking, you resist him. One, one, go, go read every translation you can read. But one translation says you stiff arm him. You put him in his place. It's, it's like a football running back that's running the ball and the tackler comes and he puts his hand out on his head and shoves him to the ground and keeps running. Resist the devil. Put him down. The third thing, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Through prayer. Through prayer. Through relationship with God. The Bible said when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Have you ever found that out? That when you get far from God, you don't feel his presence. But when you walk into the sanctity of the precious anointing of God and you feel the presence of God and you start praying, when you draw near to God, guess what? God draws near to you. There's an old, old song that says, if you'll take one step toward the Lord, he'll take two steps toward you. I found that to be true in my own personal life, and I'm telling you it will work for you too. Draw near to God. Draw near, have relationship with God. Know him. Know him. Paul said, oh, that I might know him. To know him is to have relationship with him. Jesus said, if you'll get near me, I'll get near you. And the last thing I want to say is cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Our hands refer to our outward dimension, while our hearts refer to our inward dimensions. In other words, clean up the outside and the inside. The visible symptom is easy to deal with, way more than the inner. You know, (laughs) I had a preacher tell me on the phone the other day, he said, I'm working on a sermon. And uh, I said, what is it? He said, looks, it's all that... Looks are all that matters to some folks. It ain't always the way it looks. You can look the part and be a devil. Amen. There's a little song that said, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. You know where God starts working? Not on the outside. He starts in here. And when he starts and you get it in here, you got to get the inner man and the outer man in the will of God, living by the word of God. 
I wish somebody would help me here tonight. I'm telling truth here right now. Hallelujah. And then a stronghold has been destroyed when a double-minded man becomes a single-minded man. When Christians are persistent to do the things that God wants them to do and they lose that instability and the devil loses his grasp. Let me tell you, he don't like to lose his grip on us. When he's got us thinking a certain way and living a certain way and believing a certain thing, he don't like to lose his grip. He'll fight you every step of the way. He'll lie to you. He'll accuse you he'll do everything within his power to take you back to that old stronghold but when you break out of a stronghold it's joy unspeakable and full of glory it's power and anointing in your life because you just delivered yourself and God was there to help you to walk out of that prison that you've got yourself in let me tell you folks guard your mind everybody say guard your mind a thought a thought is not it's not the sin. There's going to be thoughts come to your, I'm going to help somebody here right now. When a thought comes that is not of God, the Bible said you, you capture every thought, every thought. You capture it. It's when you leave a thought there and it cultivates and it starts to grow that a thought becomes an action that has become a sin. Lust will become sin when you leave it there. Look, come on now. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm just being real, real with you right now. You, you know, they, they put certain things in magazines and on the television, and they, they, they're constantly working on your mind. They're constantly working on your eye is the light of your body. It goes in here. It goes to your mind. And the first thing you know, you start thinking those thoughts. And you, you, I watched a deal on Ted Bundy. You know how Ted Bundy started? With pornography. He started watching. The eye was the light. And the first thing you know, he became a mass killer. And he was such a horrible man. But it started because he let those thoughts just take over. You can't let the thoughts stay. If you have an evil thought, guess what you got to do? Get it out. Don't let it stay. Don't let it cultivate. And if you tell me today that you don't have an evil thought every once in a while, I'm going to tell you a liar. I'm going to tell you you're not telling the truth. You're not. When the guy pulled out in front of you today and was driving 30 and you was in a hurry, you felt like you could kill him. You said, if I could get my hands on him, now I'm just picking. Come on now. I know what I'm talking about. I've also said this. You, 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 have you ever seen a magazine with a, a beautiful car and a woman laying on the hood that had hardly no clothes on? You buy that car, you don't get that woman. That's a facade. That's a lie. But you know why they put the woman there? To make you look. And guess what? That's what the devil does. He wants you to look. He wants you to think. He wants to put things in your mind. He wants to put things, but you can't let it stay because it becomes a stronghold. Bringing every thought into captivity. Think about that scripture. Bringing every thought into captivity and casting down imaginations. You got to throw all that stuff out of your mind. If the devil 
loses grip on your mind, he's lost his stronghold. But when you get victory in your mind, you can do it with your body and with your actions and with your heart. You can, you can succeed because he's lost his place. You just got to get it out of your mind. Come on, stand up with me. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise right now. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Get out of here, devil. You're not going to have a place in my mind anymore. Day in and day out, he's going to attack. You got to be ready, and you got to know the Word of God, and you got to stand up for what's right. And when you get it, and you get it right, the devil will lose every grip that he has in your life. Amen.